Hi, everyone. Welcome to the third season of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. Storytelling is our most powerful tool for changing anything in the world today. This compelling quote from one of my guests, Holly Gordon, sums up my aspirational goal for this podcast, sharing stories to change you, your leadership, your team, your company. As an executive coach and leadership strategist for over 20 years, I've come to know and work with some pretty incredible people. This podcast is designed to share their inspiring stories and practical ideas you can use to develop yourself as a leader and as a person. Thank you for supporting me in this podcast. If you've listened to an episode and felt its impact, could you tell someone about it? Maybe forward an episode, post about it on social, or text someone who might be interested in listening. If you could share just one, I'd be grateful. Lindsay Saletta is the Chief Operating Officer at Westbourne, a food and lifestyle brand that began as the first zero-waste neighborhood restaurant in New York City and is now piloting conscious capitalism in the food industry. I love Lindsay's clarity on her own strengths and how those same strengths can sometimes be barriers to growth. Lindsay is that ambitious and vibrant leader you wish you could call to help you navigate your own career. So here's your chance. I told her that I knew her relationship wasn't working uh-huh. and that I needed her right now. And that I realized that I wasn't listening very well and that I was going to try to listen better. And I might not be perfect right away, but that I was going to try. And then we checked in. A month later, once I'd been trying for a while, I asked her, how do you think I've been doing? How do you feel about our relationship? Oh my God, it was so vulnerable. That's not something that old Lindsay would ever have been comfortable (laughs) with. But because of the training that I went through with you at the innovation lab and like learning to ask how I'm doing, it was incredibly powerful in that relationship because it allowed her to accept the change and it allowed her to feel more safe in that relationship. The important part of that conversation though is not just this isn't working, but I'm going to try these things. Here are practical things that I'm going to try and do that I've identified that I am doing wrong, that I will do better. You have to go first. Lindsay Saletta, thank you so much for being on my show. I am particularly excited about today's conversation because we're looking at each other right now. You are here in Harlem in my office, and this is really fun to do this in person. So thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. It's a lovely office. I'm looking out at a stunning red dogwood tree in the backyard. I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. Good. Well, thank you for being here. Lindsay, you and I have worked together actually for a while now. So spring 2017, We started working together and we've had a couple of iterations in our relationship and in our conversations. I just really feel like the leadership journey that I've been a part of that you've been on has been really interesting. You've learned a lot. You're the kind of person who's really open to learning new things about yourself and figuring out how to do things better. I really admire that about you. I'm just really excited for us to just spend some time together hearing a couple of the stories that you have about your own leadership journey. But before we start on all that, you are three months into a new job. Yep. So you are the chief operating officer of Westbourne. So tell me a little bit about Westbourne. Tell me a little bit about the role you're currently in, why you love it. Maybe let's start with that. Yeah, sure. 
I love the assumption that I love it. I do. That's kind of a prerequisite for me for anything that I do. I have to be completely obsessed. Westbourne, once upon a time, was a zero waste restaurant in Manhattan. It's actually the first certified zero waste restaurant in Manhattan. And the zero waste certification is the same company that does the lead certification. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite difficult to get. You have to spend about a year tracking all of your usage of any materials within the business. And that was something that the restaurant had done in a very innovative and cool way. All of the restaurant's food was California-inspired and very hospitality-focused. Everything was plant-based, and it really developed a very special cult following in Lower Manhattan. COVID hit, and like many restaurants, sadly, this one had to close. And so the founder, Camilla Marcus, who is exceptional, decided to rethink the business and think about a way to bring the Westbourne flavor and feeling of hospitality to the homes of many, many people who are not in the lower Manhattan area. She decided to evolve the brand into a consumer packaged goods line, take the greatest hits from the restaurant, our house granola, our togarashi crunch snack, our house pancake mix, all of these things that were really special that she and her team had developed and packaged them in 100% compostable packaging. So maintaining that zero waste ethos and launch as a brand online. We launched about six weeks ago. I joined the business about three months ago. And right now we're direct to consumer and we'll be direct to consumer for a little while. Next year, we're starting to look at wholesale partnerships and build out more of that world. And the product is very good. It sounds really yummy. It sounds amazing, actually. And so when you joined, she had a kernel of this idea but she needed somebody to help operationalize this idea. Is that correct? Absolutely. I am the operational partner. So in my role, chief operating officer, I'm over both operations and growth. Mm -hmm. So the only part of the business that does not report to me is the creative side, which is as it should be. (laughs) And I love them. They're amazing, but I can't have both hats on at the same time. Tried that before. I was going to say, you sound like you're talking from experience. (laughs) In that role, I'm responsible for building out the supply chain, managing margin, HR, finance, anything on the op side, but also the growth side. So the digital marketing spend reports to me, any growth-oriented investment also falls under me. Lindsay, I know you and you work really hard, and I think you actually enjoy working really hard. So much. But what gets you up in the morning? What's like a driver for you in terms of your day-to-day right now in this new job? I don't really think about it as like, what gets me out of bed in the morning? I get out of bed. I don't necessarily want to get out of bed because bed <laughs> is delightful. And my morning usually starts with yoga or a run now, which some days is delightful and other days not so much. What I love about the job is that it's always new Mm -hmm. and different. And I think that's something that I've always been attracted to since the beginning of my career is that learning experience and that curiosity driver, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why this job took me out of the fashion industry and into food. No experience in food before, but... I know how to solve problems and I know how to run a business and build a supply chain. And this is just a different industry to do that in. So it was a way to take the skills that I developed and also learn a bunch of new things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's always been about 
two main things. One is me learning new things and having new experiences. And two is working with people who really deeply care about what they do. Mm-hmm. I'm very energized by being around people who are passionate and super knowledgeable and are just total category experts. Mm-hmm. What's been wonderful about this job especially coming in at the beginning where we're building all of our initial partnerships is I really get to go out and find those people who are category experts, who are so passionate, whether they be farmers or Mm. warehouse managers or cooks, but all of these people who have very unique skill sets that they just can't wait to share with you. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly energizing. Yeah, that is really fun. Yeah, I have to say, I really love that. The combination of the curiosity and the people who are passionate about what they do, those things coming together is, yeah, pretty awesome. So Lindsay, would love to hear some of the pivot points in your career and what you learned. And I know that people listening to this podcast really love hearing about the everyday leader and what they're learning and how they've grown and developed because I think it helps them. So when you think about some of those pivots in your career, what are some that really stand out for you? In my career, there have been what I see as probably three main pivot points, like areas of dramatic stress where I had to change how I was approaching a problem Mm -hmm. in order for that problem to get solved. That's always where there's the most room for growth is when you realize you've exhausted every single one of your tools and you're still not through the problem. The problem might be you, not the problem. Right. (laughs) And that being that stuck and then having to go inside and rearrange some of the things about yourself and then come back to whatever that external problem was. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can solve this now. I could read what you just said in two ways. One is searching deep inside, coming back out and understanding that my perspective on it needs to change. And I need to see another perspective, another way of seeing it, or I am the problem, which I think could be different. Or maybe the third thing, which you said earlier, which is I need to learn something new in order to tackle it. So if you take those three, like which one of those, was it like kind of all three of them? Was it one or more? It's totally all three. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely all three. There's a component of me myself that is creating the problem because I haven't fixed that thing inside of myself Mm -hmm. because I haven't looked at that from a different perspective that's required for me to go inside and fix that thing that is making me the problem. So it's definitely all three. And those have always been my sort of pivot points. So the first one, I was maybe 26 and I was working for a company called Filtech that was an industrial business based in South Los Angeles. They produced inspection equipment for the beverage industry. And it was kind of random how I ended up there. It was a little bit of a step outside of fashion. I was very broke. I took this job. It turned out to be an incredible opportunity. Things are never a straight line. And I learned a ton. So I had been brought into this business as the head of marketing to engineer a global turnaround of a 50-year-old family-owned brand that had become a little bit antiquated. Um, And it had new private equity ownership and a new hotshot CEO who was supposed to turn it around. And I needed to create that marketing moment for it. So new logo, new branding, new website, brought in industrial designers to redo the look and feel of the machines. It was an immense learning curve. 
And we needed to do this across offices on five continents. That sounds hard, but it sounds kind of fun. It was an incredible opportunity. But I also made some pretty big mistakes in the way that I approached it. Okay. And where I ended up at the end of my two-year term there, I had made a lot of momentous changes. I had managed the rebrand. On paper, everything was successful, but I didn't have a single ally left in the business. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of two years, when the business started to hit some headwinds, there was no one there who had my back. And that was sort of a wake-up call for me in realizing I did my job. On paper, I was totally A+, but somehow I ended up alienating all these people. If I was right, how did I end up alienating all these people? And it was this total disconnect because I couldn't understand why, if I had been good at my job, people didn't like me. And it took, it took like a couple of months of working through this with some mentors that I really love and admire who were able to call me on my shit. And at the end of the day, nobody wanted to have my back because I didn't listen to anybody else. I thought I was right. And I steamrolled anybody who got in my way. I was 26. I really thought I was right. And I might have been right, but in coming forward with my opinion first, all the time, I sacrificed knowing where anybody else in the room sat, Mm -hmm. what anybody else in the room needed to get done for their departments, Mm -hmm. how we could work together as a team. There's a very annoying saying that is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That is so cliche. And I've railed against it forever because I really like going fast. But I learned at that time that the saying is right for a reason. (laughs) You really need to be able to learn to bring other people with you Mm -hmm. because you can only go so far by yourself. And if you end up working so hard to get all of these things done, you find yourself alone at the end. And that's a very quick way to burn out. So the big lesson to sum it up from that Mm -hmm. was when you're sitting in that board meeting or in that conference room and someone asks a question or poses a problem and you know the answer, don't necessarily be the first to speak. Mm-hmm. It is not so important that you prove that you're the smartest person in the room. In doing that, in speaking first, you miss out on understanding the context and you can make much better decisions and build better alliances. If you wait, you listen, you understand the context, you have a little empathy for the other people in the room, and then you speak with a more informed perspective. We're so focused on the work and doing great work. And we think that if we're right and we're doing great work, that everything else will fall out from that rather than figure out how to work really well with people, which is very different and gets you a different result, even if it's not as fast as you want. But the other thing you mentioned, which I think is really important, is the leverage and the burnout. Connect those dots a little bit. Yeah. If you're doing everything by yourself, you're often doing it with brute force and burning all of your political capital. Mm -hmm. If you run into an area where you're like, you need help and someone could make it easier for you, are they going to step forward and make it easier for you? Are they going to volunteer to help when you've steamrolled them over the last four meetings? 
No, absolutely not. And that's when you start getting in your own way. The consequences of being a smartass don't hit you immediately. They hit you a couple months down the road. Yeah. So when you got to the end of that and you gave yourself an A plus for the work and on paper, what made you not feel good about that? I don't know. I feel like some of us could be like, it's fine because on paper it was still A plus, but what was it about feeling like you did steamroll people and you realized no one had your back? So I'm glad you bring that up because it's a very important perspective. Life is long, right? And this is a long game. A career is a long game. These interactions that you have with your coworkers now, you have no idea how that coworker is going to show up down the road or how the behavioral patterns that you start as a foundation now, how those are going to manifest down the road. Yeah. And what I realized is that I could not afford to repeat the pattern that I had at that business because I can't keep burning through coworkers forever. You run out, people don't want to work with you, you don't get referred. It doesn't work. It works for a quarterly performance basis, but it doesn't work on an annual or like multiple annual performance basis. Yeah. So if you're looking at an investment portfolio, like your quick win stocks are probably not the ones that bring you wealth over a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, good analogy. Some people may disagree with me. They're probably invested in crypto. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a big lesson. I know we talked about a couple more that really stood out for you. What are some other ones that were really pivot points for you? Yeah, so after I left, it's actually fired from the Filtech business. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So yeah. even though A plus on paper, A plus on the paper, other stuff mattered more. You didn't have the relationships. Guess who gets cut? Yeah. There are real consequences. Yeah. Left that business. And the next business that I went to brought me to New York City and brought me back into fashion. And that's where you and I met mm-hmm. at Global Brands Group. That's right. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time when the CEO at the time wanted to start an innovation lab. And I believe that I was standing in the human resources office when that came down and they looked around and said, you're weird. You can do it. (laughs) Me, me, I want to do it. So I was like, sure. What's an innovation lab? Essentially, they let me come up with whatever I wanted to, to create this thing. And we actually ended up having a very special and unique program balancing incremental innovation within the business unit and transformational innovation outside of the business units. And so what I did is I put together a team of 12 young people straight out of college, less than two years after graduation from all over the world and all different backgrounds, different modes of study, different walks of life, totally different perspectives, and brought them together into a year-long program where they would spend half of their time working on projects in the business for the different department heads, and then half of the time working on their own projects, anything they wanted to spend their time on. It's a little bit of a sidebar, but Mm -hmm. an interesting character study. What I had expected this team to do with their free time was start a bunch of startups. But because I had hired for people who were driven by seeing the impact of what they were doing, they saw so many challenges in this huge business with a lot of challenges that they spent their free time trying to attack problems in the business on top of the problems they'd been assigned. Interesting. So that was very interesting. We did have a couple of startups come out of it, a couple that were really, really interesting and compelling, but it was fun. So to the point of what did I learn? 
it was a very unique experience to go from never having managed anyone other than an intern before to being thrown into a $4 billion global conglomerate, part of the phone group, which is many, many more billions, mm -hmm. and to have 12 direct reports, none of which have ever had job experience before. So they're completely new. They're new. I'm new. And I have to create a team that works cross-functionally at the highest levels across this entire organization. We reported into the CEO. We worked directly with the presidents of each of the major groups. And this was a highly political organization, and mm -hmm. it was a deeply entrenched organization. Most of the people at the highest levels had been there for many decades. And I was supposed to go in and, as Facebook likes to say, move fast and break things. I was determined to fix things, not break things. But it was an interesting thing to be thrown into. The other thing I just want to say here, though, and I know you kind of said it, but it's worth emphasizing, is that they had never done this before. The organization that you were running as part of this innovation lab wasn't embedded in the organization. It was sort of like over here. And yet you were still trying to do that cross collaboration and cross problem solving at a high level at the top. But there were no like mandates or reporting levels going on between your group and the rest of the organization. Correct. Yeah. So I think that's worth emphasizing because it made it even more challenging, but kind of more interesting and fun, but definitely more challenging. We were also on our own floor. So we were in mm -hmm. the Empire State Building. We were on the fifth floor. The rest of the floor were showrooms, which were empty. And then we had our little office tucked in a corner that no one knew was there. It was like the secret society of the innovation lab. It was. It was. We had lab coats when people came to visit us. In order to build these relationships, not only did I have to go out onto different floors in the building and go track down these executives, but I also had to empower and coach my 12 teammates to go out and track down these executives and get the information that they need and to do so in an environment that is not really big on sharing information and to also do so as people who've never interacted in a work environment before and to try and do that in a way that's respectful, but still getting what they need out of it. So exactly the opposite of what you're doing in that other company. Exactly. <laughs> and so I had to take that lesson and suddenly teach 12 other people how to do it, which is a great way to learn a lesson, actually, to embed that is now you have to teach other people. For sure. It also put me in an environment where I had to learn a lot of new skills enabled to survive. And all of those skills were around interacting with people and not work. Because all of a sudden, my job was not about doing work. My job was about helping other people do work. And it was a totally new lens. And I feel like you were, at that point in your career, you were actually really lucky for it to be so clear that that's what your job was. Because so many other people in a job, they get promoted, and they're still kind of supposed to be doing some of that same kind of work, but yet still manage other people. And in some ways, that transitions harder because they're still sort of in that same department doing the same thing. But for you, it was a totally different company and that was your job. But it was pretty clear that you were supposed to be managing these folks and making sure that they were doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that was your job. I also made up my job. So <laughs> I've been very lucky to do that many times in my career, actually. I learned very quickly that I did not know a lot 
about managing people correctly over an extended period of time. Yeah. And that was when you and I started working together. That's right. I had gotten about five or six months into managing this team. And I felt like I was stuck in my relationship with my direct supervisor, who was that of marketing at the time. And I felt like I was stuck in my relationships with the team. We were really close, but there was a lack of boundaries and I wasn't sure exactly how I was doing as a leader. Mm-hmm. And so that was when I asked for a coach mm-hmm. and they were incredibly generous to give me you, which is amazing. And we went through that 360 review process and it was heartbreaking. Oh my God. I remember just like sobbing in every meeting that we had together for like a month. <laughs> so we were working through these issues because it laid bare all of these places where I was falling short and most of it had to do with reading a room well. Mm -hmm. There was feedback around how I would give feedback to the team and Mm -hmm. whether or not, like, what were the things that I said in private Mm -hmm. versus what were the things that I said in front of the entire group in order to make a group lesson, which probably wasn't a nice thing to do. And then also how I interacted with the other executives in the building, how the lesson that I learned about listening in my previous job, I was better, but I definitely wasn't all the way a master of that skill yet. Right. And it just pinpointed all of these areas. I think we broke it down into three that I needed to work on. Mm-hmm. And as we worked on it together, maybe this is a slight mental jump, but the big thing that I got out of that whole process that we had, yeah. other than learning I'm bad at these things, I had always seen myself as someone who would just always be bad at those things. Mm-hmm. I was just a bull in a giant shop. I was just somebody who had a strong personality. And I saw that as part of who I was intrinsically as a person, and that was never going to change. The big shift that happened through that work was I realized, if I'm not going to change, this is as far as I go. And that was not an acceptable outcome to Mm. me. And so I had to be open to the idea that my personality could change. Mm. I could learn to have these skills. Mm. And the big breakthrough for me was that empathy was something that can be learned Mm. and practiced Mm. and improved upon. I'm an ENTJ Mm -hmm. and that is my Myers-Briggs and that is 100% who I am, but you can learn the skills that are out of preference. And for me, that turned out to, one, it dramatically improved my relationships at work because I was able to decenter myself Mm -hmm. a little bit more. I was able to set my ego aside just a little bit. And I was able to open up myself to the possibility that I could be softer. Mm -hmm. That helped at work, but it also ended up helping my relationships with my family. Mm, Interesting. My sister is much more of an empath than I am naturally. And she and I had a very stressful relationship from our teenage years all the way on. And we just saw the world in totally different ways. 2017 and learning to listen, (laughs) learning to be empathetic and learning to decenter myself. My sister's now one of my best friends. Wow. That lens shift allowed me to not only improve in work, but also totally salvage an incredible relationship that I could have lost. Wow. Very special. I just feel like you said so much right now. I think that's so incredible. And I think that in particular, the apex of all of that is the shift from 
this is who I am to know there's something I can learn. Like it almost goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like that sense of curiosity. And in some ways you already had that sense of curiosity. I don't know if that was something that helped, but I just think that that's the essence of who we want to be as leaders is to understand that there's something that we need to learn and we can learn it. And we don't have to be stuck in who we are or who we think we are. Totally. That's awesome. One of the other things I think is really important about what you said is I'm an executive coach. So when I'm working with people, it's about the work, right? It's about their performance and how can you get better? But your example, which I think is true for everybody, is that you can't just change at work. Whatever it is that you're changing, if it's not cascading and bleeding into the rest of your life, you're not really changing. And so that I think is the proof that you really were making that shift because you moved it into your relationship with your sister. And the fact that you were able to do that, I think is tremendous. Proof of the pudding. I left that business with so many enduring relationships. Mm, yeah. The other business, Tech, I left with no relationships. The next business, Global Brands Group, when I left that business, I left with... My old team and I are still very close. Yeah. Some of my greatest friends now are people who used to work for me. I'm still close with some of the executives from that business that I worked with as well. And so that has been a great shift. And I actually ended up employing a couple of my previous teammates in jobs later because yeah. they wanted to come work for me again because of the changes that I'd made. And so that felt really good. That's amazing. I feel like there was, and of course, I don't remember what it was, but there was a third. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's go to that one because these are so good. So from the Innovation Lab, I moved to a fashion business called Misha Nunu. And I joined Misha Nunu as chief operating officer in January of 2019. Awesome. Yeah. I was there for two and a half years. It was an incredible journey. I joined the business when there were three employees. Within the first year, we'd tripled the business and we were up to 12 employees. We'd opened a subsidiary in the UK. We'd done pop-ups in the UK and in Soho, and we just signed a lease on a flagship store in meatpacking. Like 2019 was a phenomenal year. Wow. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> it was so brutal. We had just finished construction on the store. We're talking about fashion retail. Fashion retail. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were direct-to-consumer business. We were a bit unique, actually, in that we didn't carry any inventory. We produced everything on demand. Our main factories were in China, in Shenzhen, and in Peru, just outside of Lima. We were a zero-waste business in that everything was made for you when you ordered it. And our average turnaround time between a customer placing an order and a customer receiving the order was 10 business days. Wow, that's amazing. So logistically, it was incredibly complex, but it was a very cool and innovative business. And it was something that I really believed could be the future of the fashion industry, this way of production, really taking sort of the just-in-time mentality from many other industries and applying it to an industry where it never had been applied at scale. That's awesome. And that was the goal. It was women's workwear. We were known for a white button-down shirt that I still wear all the time. <laughs> um, so the pandemic hit March 2020. We were just finishing up construction on our new flagship with our whole team and everything and our new office. It was a lot. And I had to close the store two days after it opened. Oh my gosh. And that was brutal. 
And we kept everyone on payroll for as long as we possibly could. We really dragged it out. But by the end of 2020, our headcount was a lot closer to where it was when I started at the business at the beginning of 2019. Wow. So that was an incredibly stressful period of time. Yeah. I have an MBA in cash management from that period of time, (laughs) which is a great skill to learn. You really learn how to be incredibly resourceful. This is one of the biggest challenges of being a leader is you have to look at the business through two lenses all the time. You have to look at the business through dollars and cents and what makes sense and be very clear-eyed about what you can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you have to be empathetic to the team that you need to motivate through this incredibly stressful time. Right. And you need to be there encouraging them and coaching them and showing them a path forward so that they can go and execute and feel comfortable and safe while you're managing the other piece of the business. That's right. So that was a very stressful balance. Scrolling back a little bit, in 2019, we had an advisor to the business who was an absolute pain in my ass. Mm -hmm. She had incredible wealth of experience, but the way that she communicated that wealth of experience to me rubbed me so wrong. It absolutely drove me nuts. And I went 100% flight or fight every time this woman contacted me. It was the most nonsensical emotional reaction. And it was a thorn in my side through all of 2019. And then 2020 hit, And all of a sudden, there was no one else in the world that I could talk to about what was happening in the business except for this woman. Wow. And I needed her because I needed to talk to somebody. Yeah. It was lonely and it was scary and there was a lot going on. Yeah. And so I started being open to experiencing that relationship in a different way. She was still pissing me off. She was still triggering me, but all of a sudden I needed her. And so I figured out like I needed to look at this differently. This was not working. And in the midst of a pandemic, I definitely don't need to be having panic attacks because a woman that I don't like is telling me something I don't want to hear. Right, right, right. This is funny. I actually read, what's that Ray Dalio book? Anyways, it's like 800 pages thick, but it was the pandemic and I had nothing to do on weekends because it was snowing in Connecticut. And so I read this book. And one of the things that Ray says in this book is how important it is to get as much information possible in order to make the best decision that you can. Yes. You are the one making the decision. So it's your job to get all of the input so that you're not missing anything when you make a call. And related to that, It doesn't matter where the information is coming from or who the information is coming from. What's important is that you get the information. So I realized that one of the things that was creating such a toxic relationship between me and this advisor was that I was so focused on letting her know my perspective on the business. She felt like she had to fight to get her opinion heard. And then I didn't like her opinion and I shut it down. And as I learned, and I just started experimenting like one conversation at a time, like what if in this conversation, I just don't say anything and I let her talk? How does that feel? How does she feel after that? And after some iteration, I realized that if I kept my mouth shut, this is reminding me of my previous lessons, if I kept my mouth shut, she might say something that I didn't know. 
And I could benefit from that knowledge. (laughs) She doesn't make the decisions. I make the decisions. So what do I care what her opinion is other than what I can learn from it? Yeah. And that was the lens shift. Wow. It's interesting because it plays into your desire to do good work, to be right. Even though you're trying to put that aside, that's still a valuable driver is to be right because you do genuinely want to get to the right answer. So in some ways that was a nice way to see it because it was really bringing that part of you back and that overrode your tendency to get triggered by her. Cause you're like, no, I'm focused on getting all the information so that I can do great work. Yeah. And this is very nerdy, but I built an Excel spreadsheet for myself and I had like a list of say 10 different behaviors that I could exhibit on the call that would make it go better, that would make me a better leader. I love this. Every week, I would grade myself on how I did that week in treating this person. This is why I really like to work with people like you because you're so methodical and analytical. And I love that because you said something earlier, which I want to bring back, which is experimenting. So you were trying things out But you weren't just trying things out and throwing spaghetti at the wall. You're trying things out and analyzing it and recording it and looking back on, okay, like, how does this match up? Like, how is it going? How am I doing? That's brilliant. And what's so funny is it worked. After about eight weeks of tracking it, I didn't need to track it anymore. It's funny. I was raised in the church. And Uh so one of the things that they used to say about service is sometimes you have to do it first and then it starts feeling good. It might not feel good. You might not feel like serving someone, but just do it anyways. And then like, it'll grow on you. Yeah. And so that was totally what happened in this relationship. Once I started acting like I liked and respected her, I slowly grew to like and respect her, which I never would have seen coming because I really could not stand this woman. And over time, we became very close. Wow. And her input and advice was extremely helpful. And I learned not to be triggered. And I learned not to trigger her because half of this relationship was me triggering her. Yeah. It always goes both it ways. Was ping-pong, yeah. And by the time I left the business, she was a very important relationship for allowing me to continue to do that job successfully up until the end. Wow. And it was a radical turnaround and it took a lot of work and it took a lot of trying, but the lessons that I learned from that in don't judge the messenger, judge the information Mm -hmm. and the ability to turn a relationship that shouldn't have had a chance all the way around. That's, incredible. And I will do it faster next time. That's so great. I'm curious how she responded to you at first. Did she notice it and say something? Did she react even stronger because like the dynamics were changing and she was like, maybe unconsciously wanting to hold back onto what it was before? Like, how was she reacting? I told her that I was trying. Nice. I told her that I knew her relationship wasn't working Uh and that I needed her right now. And that I realized that I wasn't listening very well and that I was going to try to listen better. And I might not be perfect right away, but that I was going to try. And then we checked in. A month later, once I'd been trying for a while, I asked her, how do you think I've been doing? How do you feel about our relationship? Oh my God, it was so vulnerable. That's not something that old Lindsay would ever have been comfortable (laughs) with. But because of the training that I went through with you at the Innovation Lab and like learning to ask how I'm doing, it was 
incredibly powerful in that relationship because it allowed her to accept the change and it allowed her to feel more safe in that relationship. I'm so excited that you're talking about this because I think that we hesitate to tell people this isn't working. I want it to work. I'm going to try some things. Let me know how it goes. But when you say that you've almost done like 30% of the work, maybe more, like maybe you're up to 50%. You've already opened up both of your minds just by saying that. And in some ways you're already starting the trajectory going up. I'm so glad that you did that because I often recommend that people try that and it's hard to do. The important part of that conversation though is not just this isn't working, but I'm going to try these things. Here are practical things that I'm going to try and do that I've identified that I am doing wrong that I will do better versus how I think a lot of people approach those conversations, which is like, this isn't working. That's the end of the conversation and it's not constructive. You have to go first. You're bringing up a really great point because even if you didn't have that tone that you just had just now, but you were still pretty open-ended, where are you going to go from there? But what you're saying is, hey, I'm willing to go first. Not only that, I've given this some thought and I've got a couple of very concrete things that I'm going to try that you can then look out to see how it is, how it's impacting you, how it's going. And then that was the conversation. So you obviously were very thoughtful about having that conversation with her before you had it. And you were able to demonstrate that to her. I have some very good mentors and coaches. I'm really excited about this example because I think that this is something that can change the game with people. And like you're saying, if we don't have good working relationships with the people that we work with, the work's not going to be good. And it sounds like that was such a pivotal relationship for you, given the crisis that you were in during the pandemic. You really needed that relationship to work from a work standpoint. Yep. And what's funny is I can already feel my next lesson coming, my next iteration and like the growth of Lindsay learning how to be in a world with other people in it. In my new role at Westbourne, it's a very collaborative company. Instead of where I've been in the past, where I'm the head of the business or I'm the head of the department that I'm running or I'm by myself, where I'm the one person making all the decisions myself, this is a team. Yeah. I have a leadership team that works beside me. Yes, I have a founder who's very involved and brilliant and has a lot of ideas and is a collaborator. So I now have a dynamic that is totally new for me where I have to learn to collaborate with a peer-to-peer management team. Yeah. And that is totally new. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Because after my last several learning experiences, I need this in order to be better. Mm -hmm. And I see that from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so from the beginning, I know that this is a new space for me and I'm going into it really receptive as much as I possibly can be to how I need to adjust my style in this new environment. And it's a learning curve from a relationship standpoint, but it is so incredibly freeing to have really brilliant people making decisions with you, leading their stuff. And it just makes everything so much better. And I can't believe I've gone through my entire career without ever having this before. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, because then you feel like, Yeah, you're free to do your best work and you're not having to do everyone else's job. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, And I'm so grateful. And we've got such a strong team and my direct reports are so strong in what they do. And this is another lesson that I had to learn along the way. 
practically how to hire someone smarter than you. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, say more about that. Yeah. So the first time I ever encountered that situation was back at the innovation lab and I hired (laughs) one of the people that I hired to work for me in that team scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Her name is Alexia and she knows this story um, and she won't be mad at me. She was 6'2", Serbian, gorgeous, whip smart. I forget what her major was at UCLA, but it was something incredibly brainy. And she was so high energy, so entrepreneurial, and she was just as aggressive as I was. And I was like, oh my God, this woman who was 21 at the time is going to eat me alive. (laughs) (laughs) But I hired her and... She was incredible. And to my absolute surprise, she thought I was incredible too. And we ended up having one of the most meaningful relationships. She did amazing work. She called me on my shit and I called her on her shit. And we spoke the same language and that helped a lot. Yeah. And she's now one of my dearest friends. Wow. And that was just an example of me learning that I don't need to be afraid of someone outshining me. Yeah, yeah. There's room for all of us and it actually makes everybody better if everyone shines as bright as they possibly can. That's right. But for somebody who's used to being the shiny one, I had to learn it's okay if you're not the only shiny one. That's right. Ideally, we have a team where everyone is shiny. That's right. That was interesting. And then as I moved on, one of the greatest things about Westbourne is there's a lot of people in this company that are smarter than me. Yeah. And that makes me so optimistic about what we can do as a business. Yeah. And it's also very inspiring to work with. I bet. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. I know that we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you, being a woman and in some ways being a young woman taking on some big responsibilities throughout your career, what kind of impact do you feel like that's had? Or what have you noticed about being a woman that maybe makes it harder, maybe makes it easier in terms of being a leader. It's definitely a double-edged sword. Okay. When I was young and very naive, it made it easier, Mm -hmm. but it makes it easier for a short period of time. Okay. It makes it harder when you actually want to make the decisions yourself Uh and you want other people to listen to you. Got it. But I've also been really lucky in my career to work with some other incredible women and to work with some men who are very, very supportive. Yeah. My mentors are 50-50, frankly, women and men who've had really, really powerful positive impacts on my career. I've dealt with asshole men. I've dealt with asshole women. Mm -hmm. And frankly, the women who were assholes were from a generation where there was only room for one. Mm. And that is not fair to them Mm -hmm. in their experience. And I really hope that we permanently move past Mm -hmm. that era because there's so room for as many of us as possible. Yeah, There's room for everybody. The pie only gets bigger. Mm -hmm. So I'm very much of the mindset of operating from a space of abundance rather than scarcity when it comes to how many people we can have at the top. Yeah, no, you definitely have worked with some pretty interesting women that I know of working with them and the kind of impact that they've had on you thinking about what you like and what you don't like, what you want to take away, what you don't want to take away. Those are all really good lessons too. Wow. We're really thinking of some people right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
learn from everybody. We do. It's true. I mean, I mean, and especially if you have that mindset of what do I have to learn? What information do I need? Right. I mean, all that stuff really helps with all that too. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have or anything else you want to say to the people who are listening? At the end of the day, it's all supposed to be fun. Yeah. If it's going to be this hard, if we're going to work this hard on something, it also has to be fun. Yes. So I think for me, yes, I am on a continual journey on how to listen better and how to play with others. But the journey that I'm on simultaneously is how do I make a business that is as successful as possible, both financially and for everybody who's inside of it and for everybody that we touch? And how do I create this incredible network of brilliant, passionate people who are doing their best and having a positive impact, not just on people, but also on the planet? Well, I can't wait to see where your career goes, Lindsay. And hopefully we'll have you back on again because you're just always doing some really interesting and exciting things. And I love talking to you and I love your insights. So thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for having me and for all of the lessons that you've helped pound into my skull. You are truly (laughs) gifted. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winita Silva. Could you take a few minutes to provide a rating or write a comment on Apple Podcasts? Also, reach out to me at www.winniedasilva.com to learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness. If you have your own story of overcoming a leadership challenge you'd like to share, please email me at winnie at winifred.org. Maybe I'll even have you on my show. Thanks so much.